Michael J. Fox is Bradley Foster. He came to New York to make it on his own. You're fired, kid. Sorry. Mom, I'm doing great. New York is just like Kansas. Intensified. Luckily, he didn't have to. I need a job, Uncle Howard. Around here, I'm Mr. Prescott. They started him at the bottom. Show the college puke the ropes and keep them out of my face. But he had a secret way. <gasps> of starting at the top. This is Carlton Whitfield. Carlton Whitfield? Well, I didn't hire any Carlton Whitfield. There's something going on around here. Foster. He was trying to stay one jump ahead of everyone else. If you're under the second lap, you still got a comfortable lead. When his uncle's wife got the jump on him. Ah, what the hell happened? He fainted. That's when he met her. Tonight? Booked. Tomorrow night? Booked. All right, but don't beg, okay? It's embarrassing. They were a merger made in heaven. That wasn't bad. That's when everything else... Howard, please. ...went to hell. I never slept with the boss. No, you slept with the boss's wife. Will you marry? No, but I'd like to beat that up. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The sexual revolution is over. Everybody out of bed. Michael J. Fox. The secret of my success. I like you. I really like you. But I got to tell you, I have become seriously and emotionally involved with someone who isn't my aunt. <laughs> it's not a secret, but you have successfully found the Pool Scene Podcast. We're cruising through season six. I'm Kevin. I'm joined by Jim. Jim, are you in the mailroom or are you a suit? You know what? I'd like to say that I have ambitions like Brantley Foster. I would like to be on a higher floor so I can get a better view of New York. But in the end, I'm blue collar, man. I'm mailroom, my friend. This week, we feature an entry from Michael J. Fox's unfortunately limited career. He was yeah. uh, diagnosed with early onset Parkinson's disease. He did act for, I mean, he's still popping up in things occasionally, but um, his career, unfortunately, was uh, limited or else I think we would have had a lot more Mike J. Fox. Would you think that there would have eventually have been a Back to the Future Part 4? Because I think they did everything they needed to do in three movies. Yeah. Even as I got older, the third movie, I'm kind of like, yeah, because they filmed those back to back. I'm still not convinced that they won't do a fourth one. Like Tom Holland as Michael. Oh, until they do a whole reboot. Yeah. Like not like a reboot, reimagining sequel type. Tom Holland would be Jennifer and Marty's son. Maybe. Yeah. Because you'd have to redo you it. You could still have Michael J. Fox, but just have him be the dad. Or have him be Doc. Yeah. For yeah, for like a couple scenes. But it would be a reboot with a, a retooled plot. They could use the original idea of not being a DeLorean. It was supposed to be a refrigerator. Yeah. That only time travel would happen with a detonation of an atomic bomb. There you go. Which happens in a secret of my success. If it were Eric Stoltz, that would have happened. Oh, wow. That's a, such a different movie if you watch those clips. Yeah. So that entry from Michael J. Fox's career is 1987's The Secret of My Success, directed so by Herbert Ross, who directed Footloose a couple years prior and Steel Magnolias a couple years later. Two good movies. Kind of different. Very different. But very good. Night Ranger recorded the feature song, figuring it would also appear in the trailer and they'd get a bunch of like commercial kickback. But instead, they used Walking on Sunshine by Katrina and the Waves along with every other movie ever. 
Look Who's Talking, for example. Yes. But great soundtrack, regardless. Movie. <laughs> so many movies from the mid to late 80s had these, you know, killer soundtracks like this. It was like a staple. Like, don't bring that weak shit. If you're making an 80s movie, give you us know, a great title late track. 80s, you got to have a great title track. You got to have, you know, all the hits. Another very 80s thing is that this was a movie about yuppies joining Trading Places, Fatal Attraction, St. Elmo's Fire, Wall the Big Street. Chill, Wall Street, The Money Pit, several others. Reagan's beyond, America. Beyond 1987 and into the early 90s. This movie partially inspired by Steven Spielberg's early Hollywood career, where he used to sneak onto Universal Studios' lot. He found an empty office that he would use as a production office. So he was Carlton Whitfield. Basically. Okay. The original script was about a young man who worked for his uncle when he falls in love with his uncle's prostitute. Whoa! The script was totally rewritten in eight weeks to become what was filmed. They kept some of it plugging out, you know, the ant for, you know, the affair. Well, he plugged the ant, all right. He did plug the ant. Michael J. Fox made this movie in between seasons four and five of Family Ties, where he was Alex P. Keaton, or as it's typed in my notes here, Alex P. Keaton X, which <laughs> sounds like a rapper. <laughs> Alex P. Keaton about that X. old time rogue. Alex P. Keaton X. In which Alex P. Keaton was a yuppie. Yes. There were talks to do a sequel. Oh. Due to the success, but unfortunately was never developed. I don't know what it would be. He, he succeeded. I don't know what else you can fucking do. They run the company and then they he get gets his aunt pregnant. The, yes. There's a, a hostile takeover again. I don't know. Like, <laughs> so Jim, please tell us how successful this movie was since they want to do a sequel. It must've made some money along with number ones and news and all of that stuff. The Secret of My Success came out on April 10th, 1987. This made a ton of money, Kevin. This made an amazing amount of money. $12 million budget made $111 million at the box office. Yowza. Off the backs of Back to the Future and Family Ties, people wanted some Michael J. Fox X. <laughs> In the news, Kevin, big television news. The Fox Television Network. Michael, Michael Jamie Fox. Michael Jamie Fox Television Network. Michael Television. There you go. Willy Wonka tie-in, everybody. Premieres showing Married with Children and the Tracy Ullman Show, in which on the Tracy Ullman Show debuted The Simpsons. Uh-huh. A show that I watched for three seasons and stopped giving a damn about You're crazy. I just don't really like animated shows. Yeah, I just never fine. Not my thing. The governments of the Portuguese Republic and the People's Republic of the China sign an agreement in which Macau, along with Hong Kong, will be returned to China in 1999. So the Chinese What's, party like 1999. Still going well, right? Oh, it's going really well. There's yeah. no there's no issues in Hong Kong or Nothing. Macau or mm -hmm. Taiwan. Don't mm -hmm. call it Taiwan. It's nationalist China. Yeah. One of my inspirations to get into radio, Howard Stern and Infinity Broadcasting are warned by the FCC. You are warned, Howard Stern. You better stop being dirty. In response to that, he holds a free speech rally at a park in New York City. As we know, Howard Stern, the rebel himself, giving a big middle finger to the government. George! Good evening, everybody. I'm George Michael, and welcome to The Sports Machine. Kevin and I are big golf fans at this time. The Masters, Larry Mize, with one of the best finishes in major championship history, chips in from 140 feet to defeat Greg Norman on the second playoff hole to win his only 
major championship. Colin Morikawa just he won has, recently the U uh, the British only, Open. He's only started. He's only played in like fifty tournaments. He's played in fifty tournaments. He has two majors. And the great thing about that too, he entered the PGA Championship last year for the first time, won it. He entered the Open this year for the first time, won it. This kid has ice running yeah. through his veins. Two, two majors. He has like a bunch of top 10 finishes already. It's crazy. It's amazing. But we need that. We need, since Tiger's down and out now and don't know if Tiger will be back, we need these young guns. Not a young gun. Michael Jordan becomes the second NBA player in history to score 3,000 points in a season. That's amazing. He was the only second one back in 1987. And speaking of the NBA, the NBA announces expansion to Charlotte and Miami in 1988, Minneapolis and Orlando in 1989. Your top movie rentals for national video for the month of April 1987 are as follows. Blue Velvet, Tough Guys, and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I I like Blue Velvet a lot. It's an it's but it, I what all the people that rented it, what did they think? I can only imagine. I know of Blue Velvet, I've never seen it. Daddy wants to fuck <laughs> Heineken. Fuck that shit. Pops Blue Ribbon. I'm pretty sure I heard that in Ferris Bueller, too, when he talked to Abe Froman, the Sasha's King of you Chicago. Know, Frank Booth from Blue Velvet, way more redeemable character than Ferris Bueller, who's a piece of shit. How do you think Ferris Bueller is a piece of shit? He's a fucking piece of shit. He's, he's a piece of shit. There's, we're going to cover that, and I have a hundred. Look, look up. Just type in per, Ferris Bueller. Bad. I wanted to be Ferris Bueller growing he's up. He's the worst person Ferris ever. Bueller took a day off. I took like a whole year, and he was able to go to Cubs games and shit and pretend he was somebody else, and he had a hot girlfriend called Sloan Peterson. Come on. Great name, by the way. Mia Sarah, shout out. We love you. Speaking of movies, Kevin, we're familiar with this movie. The number one movie in America, Police Academy 4. Citizens on Patrol, Troll, nice. Troll. Big shout out. Thank you, everybody, for giving us a lot of kudos on our season five versus finale. Please, Academy Five versus Revenge of the Nerds 2, Nerds in Paradise. Kevin, we talked about banger songs. The number one song in America was the title song for Mannequin Starship. Hell Nothing's yeah. gonna stop us now. That's another movie we're going to eventually have to cover because that's another bonkers concept of a movie. And Kevin, that's all that was going on in April 1987. Let's get into the plot. A Secret of My Success. It's an amazing plot that takes a divergence. Yeah. Brantley is a recent college graduate from Kansas State University. He moves to New York City for a finance job, but he's basically fired before he ever starts because a hostile takeover of the company's ownership. Hi, I'm Brantley Foster in Kansas. You hired me. I start work here today. You're fired, kid. Sorry. We all saw it coming, but we looked for some kind of miracle. A miracle never happened. What did happen? Hostile takeover. 90% of the people in this building are out on the street. You are one of those 90%. Tough break. Brantley, desperate to stay and not return home a failure, takes a job in the mailroom working for a company owned by his distant relative uncle. I can do anything if I can just get a chance. They're ready for you in the boardroom, Mr. Prescott. Call Bates and personnel. Tell them I'm sending somebody down. Well, you're in the front door, kid. What you do on this side of it is up to you. 
In the mailroom, being nosy, Brantley notices that catastrophic mistakes are being made with the company's decision-making. How you doing? Listen, we've been getting a lot of requests down in the mailroom for uh, stockholder information, company assets, expenditures, you know, anything you can give us. You're kidding. Any of this research you want, you can have. Take it all. Thanks very much. Brantley, as you do, finds an empty office of a recently fired employee and creates an alter ego of new executive. Hello. This is Carlton Whitfield, 4319. That's right, I'm still waiting for that secretary I requested last week. Well, I realize you're busy down there, but uh, I'm typing my own letters and answering my own calls, and it's getting to be a pain. Empty. <laughs> well, I've been here a week, got my name on the door, got a desk full of supplies, and got a geranium on my window ledge. What I don't have is a secretary. Carlton Whitfield. Carlton Whitfield. Brantley pulls double duty between the office and the mailroom using an elevator to change. During this time, he gets a major crush on a financial employee recently graduated from Harvard. Harvard. Named Christy. However, this is also about the time where Brantley fucks his aunt. <laughs> before they realize... Casually. Before they realize they're related, Vera seduces Brantley as revenge for her husband, Howard, the company CEO, having an affair. Right after, Vera finds out she's Brantley's aunt. She doesn't care. Doesn't care. She loved the dick. Yeah. She's like, because he's like, what's, what's he she's say? She's trying to tear his clothes off yeah, in his what, office. What's, he says, I've disgraced my whole family. Oh, the hell you did. <laughs> and uh, your mom would be proud of you banging me. Yeah. Hard. Yeah. So. And she also shows up at his apartment, too, mind you. Yeah. So Vera, again, finds out she's Brantley's aunt. The person her husband having an affair with is actually Brantley's crush, Christy. All this drama culminates at a party at Howard's house. Brantley's fired when it's revealed that he's Carlton. Christy is fired for breaking off the affair with Howard, which that totally stands up in 2021. Exactly. Stop having an affair with me and you're fired. I'm yeah. sure that's totally good. No lawsuits. And Vera wants a divorce. While all in the office to gather their belongings, Brantley, Christy, and Vera devise a plan to raise cash, stocks, and bonds to execute a hostile takeover of Howard's company from Davenport Corporation, who is trying to do the same thing. Brantley's given Howard's position, and as the movie ends, Brantley and Christy prepare for their future together as lovers and executives. Brantley's 24 years old and straight out of college, and he's given a company. He's CEO of that company. You have to love his ambition, though. Yeah. He even told his parents, listen, the only time I'll be coming back is on my own jet. Yes. And he does. So as characters, we have Michael J. Fox as Brantley Foster slash Carlton Whitfield. Brantley. Helen Slater as Christy Wills. A two-time member of the Pool Scene Podcast now. Richard Jordan as Howard Prescott. Margaret Witten as Vera Pemrose Prescott. John Pankow as Fred Melrose. Fred Gwynn as Donald Davenport. Uh, what? And... Utes. That's probably all I'm going to do. We have Bruce McGill. Cindy Crawford in the opening montage. Yeah. So which actor or actress gives a passable performance? Does any non-lead character steal scenes? I got one. I love Melrose. Morning. But not the suits, man. You never consort with the suits unless they consort with you first. Wait a minute. That's ridiculous. He's a person. I'm a person. I can't say a lot of him. He's not a person. He's a suit. Your mailroom. No consorting. Come on. Yes. 
Yeah. Don't associate with the suits. Yeah. The suits. You can't talk to Fred the suits. Fred Melrose is so great because there's times where he saves Brantley's ass. Like He does. Brantley's boss is on him all the time to figure out what he's up to. And he's following him everywhere and, around this yeah, building. And Melrose is always like, at the one part, he knocks him, throws a cord out that he trips over or something. So He's still got a comfortable lead. Hi, boss. Bye, boss. Yeah, Melrose is that guy, and he ends up becoming an executive in yeah. the end anyways. Right. And him and Brantley pair notes because Melrose ends up falling for his aunt. Then they, hey, Brantley, how does she like it? Yeah. <laughs> Best scenes. Let's find out which scenes made a splash. When uh, Brantley first gets to New York and he calls his mom from a payphone. It's Miami Vice. Well, can you turn the sound down? It's too loud. Oh, my, it's broken. The knob came off of my hands. Uh, yeah, the phone number. Well, you still have the number, don't you, Brad? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I got that right here. Oh, it's so good. He's trying to convince her that New York is fine, that everything's going great, and that it's a nice place. Meanwhile, there's a shootout in the background. This I- explains something to me. I want clarification. Does the one cop shoot that fucking guy in the head? I think so. He shoots him in the head, and then he's still, he's alive on the ground, and he's still fucking putting handcuffs on him. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's telling his mom he's watching Miami Vice. Oh, oh, yeah. And also, doesn't, like, the booth that Brantley's standing in on the phone get shot? Yeah. Like, it's, why does it's a he shootout. get shot? And his mom's like, what's all that commotion? I got, it's up loud, mom. There's a That's big scene Miami in Miami Vice. Oh, it's so good. So let's talk about my favorite scene. He, as a male boy, is also a driver, apparently. You can just call yeah. from the motor pool and he's going to drive a fucking limo. Uh-huh. No, 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 no. That's transportation's problem. No, we do not supply drivers for executives' wives. We are a messenger service. I don't care if the other drivers are all busy. Yeah, well, the same to you, sweetheart. Dartmouth, get over here. Executive's wife wants a ride up to Litchfield. Check out a car and driver. Oh, where's Litchfield? You'll find it. Just follow the smell of money. With a limo, you'd think you'd actually have to have a train driver because it's a bigger automobile. However, he proceeds to hit on Vera in a car after mm-hmm. she's like, I just look twice as old. Are you kidding? Wait, you look. Well, I just hope that when I'm his age, I can wake up every morning and find a woman as beautiful as you are lying next to me. Thank you. Well, doesn't he think he's talking to her, but she's actually on the phone. He's on the phone and then he starts gabbing at her and she's like, I'm old. And he's like, listen, if I woke up next to you every day, I'd be a happy man. So she's getting attention from a younger guy. In turn, she invites him back to the house to go swimming. They get, you know, have pool fun. Then they end up having sex. And then it's revealed that my uncle. Your what? Oh, God, that makes you. Auntie Vera? Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. When Uncle Howard comes home that, oh, my God, that's Aunt Vera. He's freaking out like, I just fucked my aunt. I fucked my aunt. I'm going to let my mom down. And the whole time she's like, you did a fucking great job. Yeah. She might as well just said, you fucked me super good. Good fucking. Don't worry. He won't fire you. Oh, there's no way I'm going to get a raise out of this. <laughs> Vera, what's the company car doing in the driveway? It broke down, darling. The driver had to take the train back to town. No, he didn't, darling. He's in here having trouble with his flight. Get back. Do you ever stop? No. How am I going to get home now, huh? You want to tell me that? Maybe we'll just have to keep you here and adopt you. You're right, Vera. No regrets. No regrets. Well, as long as Howard is the blood relative and not Vera. It's still Aunt Vera. 
Yeah. And she seems like the type that if they were in that situation, she would want him to call her Aunt Vera while they did. Yeah. I mean, imagine if like Aunt Vera was his mom's sister. I mean, that's worse. It's still bad, but it's still, yeah, it's still still weird. weird. It puts him in an uncomfortable position. Just anybody out there think about that same relative in your family. (laughs) You're fucking your uncle's wife. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, you look like death on a cracker, man. What happened to you? Well, it was chased by a 200-pound dog with the mouth as big as my head. And that was the best thing that happened last night. What was the worst thing? Got laid. Not sure you got your priorities straight, Bradley. So my next one is a two-part thing. So you call me out after. Okay. So Brantley's secretary catching him changing in his office. Uh, I was going to talk about the so, same thing. Uh, I'm Jean, your secretary. I'm not wearing anything. I see that. It was warm. Seems cooler now. I'll get dressed. Yes, sir. I'll move my stuff in. Great, Jean. Good idea. Since he works in the mailroom, he now controls the memos, which is how everything works. He assigns himself a secretary... But she comes in to introduce herself or to meet him or whatever. He's in his, his office changing and she, he's like, I have no clothes on. She's like, I can see that. So then I guess he's gun shy about changing in his office. So then his next ruse is an elevator ruse. I'm sick and tired of these elevators always getting stuck. Hi, G. You take those to the cleaners? Where he hits the alarm so that the elevator shuts down and he can change real quick. And it's quick. a running gag throughout the rest it's of the movie. It's a running gag throughout the rest of the movie. The maintenance guy is always like, what's with these elevators? All the or whatever. time. So at one point, I don't know what happens, but the elevator turns back on. The alarm shuts off and he's in his underwear. And he's posing. So yeah, exactly. So when, when the door opens, the secretary's standing there, he's posing like a bodybuilder. So I don't know what it is about me, Michael J. Fox, changing that I like, but two scenes where he gets caught by his secretary changing. And in that scene where he's posing, he throws his laundry at her and says, send us a dry cleaner. (laughs) I got another funny scene. So when we show up, we meet Brainley. The first time he's in New York, he's showing up to another job, which immediately he gets fired for because the the company got hostile takeover for that company. He has this rundown. First of all, I don't know how he's even an affording a rundown apartment. He has no job in New York. So somehow he's affording that. He's trying to make deals with the rats. You stay on your side of the room. It looks like a hoarder's yeah. place. So as time goes on, he ends up becoming a maestro <laughs> to the sounds of his neighbors having sex. And he knows how to coordinate them. Can you imagine having a neighbor? You know their sex schedule. It's so good, too, because after they finish, he goes, great job tonight, guys. (laughs) And he cracks open a beer in celebration for him. I love that scene. He seems to be a magnet for that because there's a scene where he's in the boardroom and his uncle knows him. And he's pretending to be this executive, so he can't be seen. Can't be seen. So when his uncle decides to sit in on the meeting. He fakes a nosebleed. Oh, 
my god, nosebleed. Oh, dry heat. Get them all the time. Oh, god. No start to the screaming. Who is that? Well, that's the new boy, Whitfield. He fakes a nosebleed and he runs out and he instantly runs into like a supply closet where two people are fucking. And they don't stop. They don't stop. He goes, sorry, guys, I just need to get some supplies. Sorry. Needed some supplies. Oh, a few of these. And, oh, God. Get from receiving. All right. They don't stop. It's no. so... What is it with New York offices? Is it like this? <laughs> they have sex all the time. But we find out from Uncle Howard earlier when he has his job interview, 30,000 people work in that building, yeah. which I find little, little much. Yeah. This movie, like most yuppie movies, like most New York movies in the 80s, ton of Twin Towers. Yeah, you get a lot of World Trade Center shots, yeah. of course. The party where it yeah. all comes... It's the comedy. Yeah. It's everybody's missing yes. everybody by a second and a half. Yes. And then all of a sudden, because Uncle Howard is banging Christy. Yep. Michael J. Fox shows up in her room waiting for her. He's in bed. Uh-huh. All of a sudden, lights are dark. He's under the covers. He realizes it's Uncle Howard. Yep. He thinks it's Christy, like, grabbing her ass, saying, I love you. And all of a sudden, he reveals that I'm in bed. He's like, I'd like to punch the hell out of you right now. All of a sudden, Aunt Vera shows up. Christy shows up. The comedy ensues. Oh, yeah. It turns into like a who's on first, what's on yes. second. What were you doing in bed with my nephew? Whitfield's your nephew? This is Brantley Foster. He works in the mailroom. The mailroom? You mean you're not an executive? Let me get this straight. Brantley is Whitfield? That's right. Brantley is Whitfield. Whitfield is Brantley. And Christy is the bimbo. Well, now that we've all had Mouseketeer roll call, I'm just going to go call my lawyer. Whitfield was just here. That's Whitfield. No, that's Brantley. Yeah. I love the comedy between all of them. And then one line I well, love Because everybody's got a deal other than Vera, but Vera's kind of like the devastated by all of it. But she takes it with a grain of salt. Like, she's yeah. used to him fucking yes, other people. She's used to it. Brantley doesn't know that... Christy. Christy's having an affair with Howard. While she was stealing his papers as Carlton Whitfield yes. because of Howard telling yes. her to do it. Howard doesn't know that Christy is sleeping with Brantley. Yeah, because she thinks Brantley is Whitfield. Yes. They don't know that, yeah, Brantley is both personalities, Carlton. So we all we reveal everything in this one scene. I love it. It's comical. You got any more? No, that's that's it. The uh, that I, that was going to be my my one is them in and out of the beds and stuff. Also, one last one for me. Another comic scene where Vera knows she banged her nephew and she's fine with it. She shows up at his office. Yeah, I'm going to have you for lunch. Can I get you ham and cheese? Oh, look at that cute little Adam's apple. And Vera, listen. Oh shit! Since the last time we met, there's been a change. Yes, okay? nice suit. Look, right. ah, look what I mean to say. Oh Christ. I'm not free anymore. What, you're going to charge me? Oh, you're getting awfully cynical. Does your mother know about oh, this? I no, I mean, I'm not available. Oh, oh good, you're not going to charge me. Oh. Don't worry, Brantley, I don't want to marry you. I'm already married. I just want to love you. And Howard almost walks in on her trying to strip him, and yeah. he has to try to fumble his he way out. He passed out. She says he, he passed out. Yeah. What the hell is this? He fainted. Fainted? Dead away. Actually, he um, hit his head. Yeah, it was like fainting. Uh, knocked out. Hit his head on what? Up the floor. The ceiling. Which one? Above. Neither. What the hell happened? And she loves the fact that I love Margaret Witten as mm -hmm. a character because we love her in Major League. She plays such a great heel. But in this, she's so fucking hilarious. I love her comedic timing. It's perfect. 
I don't know about her hairstyle because that's wow. Yeah. But yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's get out of the pool. Get some refreshments. Everybody out of the pool. You may go to the pool with your aunt (laughs) and share a changing room. Share a changing room and strip in the pool. This week, we return to Mount Crushmore. In honor of Aunt Vera, Jim suggested Hollywood actresses of a mature age. So basically, the Mount Rushmore (laughs) of attractive Hollywood actresses over 45. You you specifically (laughs) add 45 years of age because you're missing... By going to 45, you miss... I almost said 50. You miss Jessica Alba. Yeah. Jessica Beal, Jennifer Beal, whatever the fuck her name is. Just Justin Timberlake's wife. Yeah, Jessica Beal. You miss Beale. Evangeline Lilly. Yep. You miss a handful by going to 45. Yeah. So with that said... Yes, we, it's a MILF thing, everybody. It's funny. We, I actually only have three written down, so I'm going to have to come up with a fourth on the fly. I have a, a list of honorable mentions. I will select one. But first, my first head... Number one. In this case, especially, would have to include the bust. Yeah, it would have to. Of Selma Hayek. Oh, very nice. Curvaceous Latina, 54-year-old as of today. She's covered many genres, appearing in several Robert Rodriguez movies. She was in Wild Wild West. She was in Grown Ups 1 and 2 with the Sandman, Adam Sandler. <laughs> she uh, was part of the, she's part of the loaded cast of the upcoming House of Gucci, which is probably going to win Best Picture at the next, next Oscars, but we'll find out how good it is come November. So first, I have Selma Hayek. So my first one, ever since I saw her in the movie known as Unfaithful, I was at that certain age when that movie came out and it was like, ooh, she's a hot older woman. Diane Lane. Diane Lane is my number one by far. She is currently 56 years old. Doesn't look 56 at all. I always thought she was just so hot. So you have Diane Lane. Do you have Diane Weist also? I do not. Okay. I do not have a Weist infection. I do not have Diane Weist. She's probably 175 right now. Diane Weist, though, she could be 150 and still look like Diane Weist, which is amazing. But no, Diane Lane, she is one of those actresses, I think, that has never used any type of plastic surgery or Botox. She's aged naturally, and she looks amazing. So to me, that was very important for this. So a lot of it's personal attraction, your personal tastes. But a big one for me is like, there's a few actresses on this list I probably won't name. They look freaky. Yeah. They're still they still appear on the lists of like most attractive Hollywood women, but like they've got Botox and cheek implants and like To me though, I don't under I get it. You're trying to hold on to a certain look cuz you're afraid that you're not going to get movie roles anymore, but it comes at a point where it's like Jesus yeah. Christ, who are you yes. anymore? So you pick Diane Lane, who's 56. My next one, my Diane next Weast. head is also 56 years old. And she's only gotten better with age. Number two. Marissa Tomei. I keep forgetting how old she is. Isn't that nuts? She's probably most known for winning an Oscar for My Cousin Vinny. A 1964 Buick Skylark. But the youngins, and this freaks me out, putting her on my list, is the youngins will know her as Aunt May. In Tom Holland's Spider-Man movie. She's old enough to be Aunt May. It's so weird, isn't it? Because Aunt May was always like a grandma. She's elderly. Yes. And this is so, like hot Aunt this May. This is like hot Aunt May. This is Marissa. She Tilly. is Vera. Yeah. I would bang Aunt May. She's a uh, stripper and the wrestler, like an overhill, oh. you know, like yeah. a counterpart to him. But uh, yeah, Marissa Tomei. My next one. Once again, it's another movie that I was like, holy shit. You've always wondered 
what a certain person would look like. Elfra Grante Delicto, if you know what I mean. My next head, Halle Berry. Oh, yeah. Oh, Monsters Ball. Yes. And Lord knows people only watch Swordfish for the top of the Halle Berry, 54 years old. Yeah. Halle Berry, she looks the same. She's gorgeous. Was like the. Gorgeous. You know, Boomerang in 92, and everybody's (sighs) like, man, Halle Berry is just incredible. Wow. And then her career starts to slow down a little bit. So she finally whips them out. Yeah. She whips the titty out hard. She whips both the of them out. out. Oh. In Swordfish, which is a fucking terrible Whore. movie. Isn't it? Now, I've only seen it once. Isn't it basically a fucking hacker movie? It's a hacker movie. Yeah. This one guy has to hack for his life. He has like one minute to hack something. And while he's hacking, he also has to get a blowjob. Oh. They like. I mean. They're like to, to up the pressure. It's of like a this double hack, dare? Yeah. They're like. Do you take the double dare or you take the physical <laughs> challenge? Give him the physical, physical challenge. challenge. Suck it. Yeah, suck this guy while he has one minute. He has a gun to his head. <laughs> he is, yeah, whatever. So, Halle Berry. And then, like you said, Monster's Ball. Oh, yeah, which is weird. Make me feel Billy good. Bob Thornton. Mm-hmm. Fuck. This racist movie. Weird. Yeah. Number three. My next one, Gabrielle Union. Mrs. Dwayne Wade. Damn, she's fine. She, How old is she? 48. What? I've looked 48 wow. since I've been 30. <laughs> She looks 25. Holy shit. She's, as Jim said, she's married to Dwayne Wade. They got that prenup. They have a prenup to protect okay. their own assets, which I can respect. I mean, if like, uh, I mean, imagine getting married to someone who had money and stuff and them suggesting a prenup because yeah. what's a prenup suggest that this relationship may not last. Yeah. You know, cause some people are like, no, we're going to be married forever. We're not getting a prenup, but good for them. They worked it out. They both decided to protect their own assets. So that's, that's my third one. My next one up there in age a bit, but I remember her in the nineties a lot. Sharon stone. Okay. Sharon stone, 63 years old now, but man, the nineties, holy shit. You got basic instinct and sliver like back to back. It's, being 12, 13, 14 years old and seeing those movies, you're like, oh my God. And Sharon Stone was another one that always is naturally beautiful. Like, I don't know if she looks like a Gorgonzola now. I have no idea. <laughs> Gorgonzola. She's fucking, she might be a, a chud. I have no idea. But it's Sharon fucking Stone. And I love Sharon Stone and other movies besides that. Like, I love Albert Brooks. Albert Brooks might be my favorite actor of all time, but she was in The Muse. She's been in so many other movies. But man, that early 90s, John, oh my God. So I have a hard time picking my fourth one. I I was going to go Halle Berry because I, again, I never picked a fourth when I was doing my notes. I have a list of honorable mentions, but I have kind of an issue which i'll explain after you do your final pick okay so for my fourth one i'm just gonna say number four christina Hendricks, probably because i'm distracted by her uh, i always found it weird that her husband yeah. is he's the candy bar guy from super troopers he's so fucking weird yeah i think they got divorced she was on mad men correct, correct. i've never seen mad men always wanted to but yeah it's very very distracting she's a uh a ginger, very known for her fiery red hair. Yes. So, and her husband, Candy Bars, that guy from <laughs> Super Troopers. He would have been great in Willy Wonka. Eats the wheat. Yeah, he plays a uh, a special needs person in Johnny Knoxville's The Ringer. Oh, Jesus which Christ. pretty much, that's what that guy gets typecast as. Great. Isn't that a great Not thing? You're, married. you're Mr. Christina Hendricks, yes. and you're the guy from The Ringer. He kind of looks like if they rebooted Revenge of the Nerds, he could play Booger. <laughs> 
Just he, taller and thinner. He does look like But he looks booger. like Booger. We need to do an episode where we take one of the movies we have covered and, and just recast. recast the entire movie. Oh, man. Maybe like a swim meet series to yeah. that episode we did before. Yeah, there's there's a couple great podcasts that do that sort of thing. There's the now retired Punch Up the Jam. Yeah. Where they take a um, hit song and kind of restructure it. But yes, we should do that. We should start doing swim meet series where we take... You know, maybe we do three or four per episode and take like three or four movies and recast them. That'd be fun. And rewrite them. Because when we rewrote Rollerball, man, I thought we did a great job. I mean, look what we thought of when we just did, when we uh, did Willy Wonka. Yeah. For the idea for Willy Wonka is fantastic. We're really good at that. So my last one. Kind of old, Kevin. Okay. Kind of old. Helen Mirren? Yeah, it's Helen Mirren. It's Queenie Shaw herself. She's gorgeous. Yeah. And not only, she's also has that personality where she's a dame. She's been, I don't know if the term would be knighted because knighted by the British Empire. It's a male thing. But she seems to be that one, all the awards, all of her recognition, all of everything. She seems to be that down to earth type person. But she was a swimsuit model back in the day. She's 73 years old and she still looks gorgeous. I thought you were going to go like Estelle Getty no. or B. Arthur. B. Arthur. Naked pictures of B. Arthur. B. Arthur. Fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Helen I, Mirren. Come I, on. I will tell you why I went Christina Hendricks as kind of the throwaway fourth. I have Eva Mendez, Mrs. Ryan Gosling. Okay. But I kind of have that Selma Hayek spot and they sort of cancel each other out. Yeah. You know, same. Well, she wasn't too fast, too furious. Same ballpark. Jamie Gertz, but kind of Marissa Tomei. Kind of same ballpark. Got cows. Phoebe Cates, who I will always have a special place for. Well, we both do. She... She's kind of fallen off the planet. We don't know where she's been. I mean, I see pictures of her every once in a while. And then Leah Thompson. I like Leah Thompson's daughter. Yeah. Leah Uh, Thompson still looks um, very gorgeous. Yeah, Zoe Deutsch is very... Like, it blew my mind to find out. Because I like Zoe Deutsch. She's in Vampire Academy, which is a ridiculous movie. She's in a couple movies I like. And I'm like, she's a cute girl. I like Zoe Deutsch. To find out she's Leah Thompson's daughter is crazy because they look just alike. So if they do a Tom Holland Back to the Future, they could get Zoe Deutsch to play the role that her mom played. Here's another couple good ones. By the way, Helen Mirren, 75, not 73. I screwed up on that. Sandra Bullock. 56. Okay. Sandra Bullock is 56. Never really into Sandra Bullock. Liked her as the girl next door type, but not. Her girl next door for me is Speed. Great actress. Likeable. Always kind of had a crush on Julianne Moore. Because I loved her in Boogie Nights. Loved her in Nine Months. And, of course, the big Lebowski. Yeah. Always had a thing for Julianne Coitus. Moore. Yes. <laughs> Coitus. And don't forget about Courtney Cox. Courtney Cox. <laughs> She's so hot. On that show. That's from uh, South Park Christmas special. Oh, for a minute there, I was um, like, is she going to be an Oompa Loompa? That'd be interesting. Don't you like uh, Jessica Chastain? How old is she? Jessica Chastain is sub 45. She's uh, under 45. Okay, so. She's around my age. Oh, okay. Yeah, a little over 40, maybe 41, 42. But Chastain's probably my numero uno. Yeah. All right, let's, uh, we got all worked up. Let's get back in the pool. Hopefully the water's cold. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to cool down. Get your bodies ready for the jolt. That it's time to get back in the pool! (laughs) That was great. Thanks. I swim five miles a day. Supposed to tone my ass. Yeah, it works. Oh! Just when I thought it was safe to go back in the water.
That's a good idea. It's okay, I know the owner. <laughs> Last one out of the... You sure your husband's not coming home? Who knows? He could be home any minute. Several hours from now. Oh, my God. Oh. Critical question. Best yuppie movie. Wow. There's like 50 of them. Okay, if I had to pick one right now, boom, American Psycho. Okay, that is my number one. Okay. I will say Rain Man won Best Picture. Wolf of Wall Street is like a look back at yuppie movies and like an homage yeah. to yuppie movies 25 years later. American Psycho is like picture-perfect parody of yuppie culture. It's excellent. The eggshell card versus white versus, you know, all the different colors. And then like constant competition between shirts and shoes and... Uh, personal beauty. Yes, personal beauty. So the American Psycho, fantastic. I do want to mention a movie that is a, is a yuppie movie. And Jim, I don't know if you have any knowledge of this movie. The Bonfire of the Vanities. By so Tom Hanks. It's the biggest flop of all time. I of, mean... Wait, is it not, of all time? Not financially... But because it was a movie that couldn't fail. So it was directed by Brian De Palma. So right there, boom, De Palma. Based on a great novel, best-selling number one, you know, New York Times bestseller. Fantastic book. So you've got Brian De Palma, incredible. Great source material. Tom Hanks, Bruce Willis, Melanie Griffith, Morgan Freeman, Kim Cattrall, and the movie fucking was torn apart critically. I see. I've never seen it. And I know of it. And it was, and it failed big time financially. Now there is a book, a whole book written about why this movie failed. And there's a podcast, a current podcast. It just is a bonfire of the vanities. Just podcast? about bonfire of the vanities. Be- How much steam power could that have? It's because it's again, it's the biggest flop of all time. Wow. It's because it couldn't fail. I mean, imagine if like Fast Ten came out and it made eighteen million dollars. Oh, there. You know what I mean? Like I'd be insulted. It's it's just it had everything. It had the director, the material, the cast, and it failed epically. Yeah, you'd think okay, Tom Hanks, Bruce Willis, Melanie Griffith. Had a budget of forty seven million, made only fifteen. Yeah. So I mean it it's not it's not like it had a budget of forty five million and made one million or something. So it did lose a substantial amount of money. It couldn't fail and it did. Titanic was unsinkable. It sunk. You yeah. know, that's Bonfire of the Vanities. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna have to check that movie out. Yeah, that we should maybe we'll do it on this. Okay, yeah, that sounds good. I I don't know if I've ever watched it. I don't I know of it as a kid because my mom used to like that. I just I know like that it, on but... the cover of the movie, Bruce Willis looks so ridiculous as a yuppie. Oh. It's Bruce Willis in the button down with the wireframe like waspy glasses. Isn't that crazy? Because then you contrast it with what he was doing at the time. Yeah. You know, he just he just came off Die Hard. He just came off Moonlighting and he's this yuppie uh-huh. character. All right, let's get into logic. It all could have been different, Mr. Walker. You should have allowed nature to take its course. So I don't have a ton of logic. Oh, so I got it. I know you do. So I'll just start and then I'll bounce off of you. I will say I'll give it more of a pass because it's 1987. But how could Brantley possibly create not just an alter ego, but like he's on the payroll, not just like if he created a second mailroom clerk, you know, to get a paycheck for, but he created an executive. Who are you? Carlton Whitfield, new employee. I didn't get a memo on that. Oh, you will. All right. As long as I get the memo. And it's because he controlled the memos. 
So he was like, the memos came out of the mailroom to be distributed. So he was able to like fudge the memos. So all the, you know, executives kind of just assume that the other executive knows who this guy is, but nope. Like he just appears out of thin air. I think one thing that helped him at the very beginning when he started taking stuff, I think it was after like his first or second shift, he started taking stuff from oh, the yeah. mailroom to memos. Yes. And when he's sitting there with Melrose, he's like, hey, hey what are you crazy? You're not supposed to take the memos out of the mailroom. I can't follow a chain of command in this company. I mean, I got the right title, but their, their job assignments and objectives are all script. Look at this. Jesus. Purchasing. It's a joke. They, they've got two people doing basically the same job. Neither one of them's doing it right. Yeah, well, I'll bring it up to the next stockholders meeting. Can you put these things away? Huh? Whoa, no. So I'm thinking now that's how he was getting paid as Carlton Whitfield because people aren't double checking this shit. Yeah. Because if you look at his apartment when he became Carlton Whitfield, a lot better. I mean, same apartment, but it's all cleaned out. He has furniture. Well, it's like you mentioned the how do you cash a paycheck? Exactly. You're going to need identification as a fake person. And like, and they don't have direct deposit back then. They pay in a cash paycheck. Does it like, I I don't, it's insane. The whole thing is insane. The one cool thing that like I texted you after we, we watched this and I've seen this movie a lot of times, but I never know at the very beginning of the movie, Brantley's weird ass parents, especially his mom, his mom is fucking out there. His dad states, Elmer Whitfield's cousin Carlton went off to New York, a normal boy came back with his head shaved. And an earring stuck in his cheek. Elmer Whitfield's cousin Carlton went off to New York, a normal boy, came back with his head shaved and an earring stuck in his cheek. So that's how we got Carlton Whitfield, which makes you wonder how in God's name did like what the fuck happened? Like Carlton Whitfield, the original have a yuppie job and he just went fucking nuts. He became Captain Lou Albano. (laughs) That's what it sounds like. Put an earring in his cheek. But I found that weird for as many times I've seen that movie. That was such a throwaway thing. And it's like, okay, that's how he came up with Carlton Woodfield. But like I said, I have a ton here. First off, let's talk about Vera. You're willing to want to fuck your nephew. She loves the fact that he banged her and he's family. Yeah. Meanwhile, he's having issues with it because he thinks he's going to let down his mom, his dad. Meanwhile, she loves the fact. She likes it more. She it's she like, just it's a fetish. He's some dude. He she boned, and then when when he when she goes, wait, say that again. He said that's you know my uncle or whatever. I'm anti Vera. Yeah, she loves it. Yeah, but here's the thing. Not it's not a, a a dumb question. What would your response be if all of a sudden you're shocked to find out that the older woman you slept with is related to you? How would you fucking react? I don't know, but again, my peace of mind is the fact that that's not the blood relative. That's, that's his blood relative's wife. Still not great, but better. Yeah. Better than if that was like his mom's sister. I love Auntie Vera. Yeah. I love her. This is another thing I, I don't get with the whole, another logic point, the whole Carlton Whitfield saga itself. So he creates his alter ego of Carlton Whitfield. How in God's name does nobody know what Carlton Whitfield really looks yeah, like? Right. And it's the fact that later on in film, you find out he's been there for two months as Carlton Whitfield. Yeah. And you're telling me, Uncle Howard, nobody knows in the higher up who really Carlton Whitfield is. Have you ever seen Whitfield Brantley? Yes, sir. Well, lots of times I deliver here every day. Great guy. How does he get all this information? Well, it's available in most quarterly stock reports, probably. Like Uncle Howard, like, I find it weird that this guy's avoiding me. And the only time I saw him, he ran out of the room. Yeah. I mean, come on. There's not fucking red flags. And then they eventually think he works for Davenport and it's all a part of a setup. Well, then 
you know, the other part too is that he, it's not like he quits the mailroom, which he should. But he, this is another thing I don't get. He's doing two jobs. Yeah. Why doesn't he quit the mailroom? I don't Once know. Once he's fully infiltrated the executives, because all these scenes where we see him changing and running to be in the mailroom to do the mailroom job. And his boss down there knows something's up. Yeah. What's your hurry? What's going on? Uh, I got a special delivery here, Mark Durgey. I'm watching you, Foster. Just remember, every minute, God, God is watching you. And the only thing I can think of is if he quits his mailroom job, he won't have access to the memos. He anymore. needs the memos. So he needs the memos, but it's like... But in a weird thing, he doesn't need the memos because when he initially goes to like the library or wherever they yeah. keep the notes, the woman who's running just take whatever yeah, you want because right. he literally asked for permission. Yeah, so it's so just, he really didn't even need them. No, it's weird because he he keeps the he risks getting himself in trouble keeping the mailroom job when he doesn't have to. Yeah, and don't and like he even said when he goes to the first corporate meeting, the guy said i didn't get a memo on yeah. this well you'll get one okay as long as i get one it's like any tom well, dick or harry could have showed up they ask him at that first meeting they're like how do you know about that memo well damn it davidson tell him you wrote a memo to mr thomas here explaining exactly what i'm talking about well how, how did you know I, I wrote that memo how did i know you wrote that memo who else could write that memo davidson that memo was famous that memo was a masterpiece, clear, concise, to the point. That was the best damn memo I ever read. Yeah. Of course I know about it. And he goes, because it was the mo- like the Mona Lisa memos, whatever he says. But he's he like, still does. He should no, not have had access to no, that. Memo. He should not have. But David's like, he's fucking, yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. He's giving me credit. Here's another thing, too, I find weird. At the very end of the movie, like I said, I brought up earlier, I wonder if Melrose and him are taking notes about Aunt Vera. We see Christy with a ring on her on her engagement finger. Did Brantley propose to Christy already? Because she's staring. You don't put a diamond on your ring finger yeah. on your left hand if it's not an engagement yeah. ring. So weird is to assume mm. that he popped a question. She said yes like that. Ambitious. It's fucking crazy considering. And here's the thing. They made a pretty goddamn quick after the entire fallout. Literally within one floor, they're having sex in the elevator all over again. I always found that weird. Also, like I told you, there was an error in the movie where they filmed it because initially when he goes into Carlton's office and that guy calls, what are we going to do about this trucking problem? Throughout this whole movie, he kind of has shorter hair with red, like red accents. Then there's another scene where he has long, darker hair and it's obvious. It must have been a reshoot. That's mm-hmm. the only thing I can think of. That was an error. Yeah. Yeah. Look, you tell the trucking company that we have to service our customers now. If they're not going to help us, we're going to find somebody who will. Well, all right. <laughs> That's what we need, some gutsy decisions around here. I'll get back to you. Okay, bye. But there are just so many logic issues uh, in this movie, but I love it. bring up doesn't matter in scheme of things, but like he goes to one of those board meetings and he forgot to change his pants. Yeah, he's just... He still has his mailroom pants on, which are basically khakis. And they call him out on they it. They call him out on and it. And he said they're just testing it. It's a new style. Yeah, he's like, oh, oh, a trousers. Uh, casual attire today, Whitfield? Huh? Yeah, uh, trousers, yeah. New product line. I'm testing them out. Pretty good. Pretty good. I'm, I'm testing them out. And he goes, that's smart. Like, I like that. And it's like, okay. It's amazing how he can't seem to find a job anywhere in New York. And he's this business savvy. Yeah. To just understand all this memoranda in which he's stealing. And the only jobs that he seemed to almost get was he had to be a minority woman to get yeah, one job. Right. No exceptions. 
I want this job. I need it. I can do it. Everywhere I've been today, there's always been something wrong. Too young, too old, too short, too tall. Whatever the exception is, I can fix it. I can be older. I can be taller. I can be anything. Can you be a minority woman? But it's crazy. I love this movie. It's so good. And after watching it again for the umpteenth time, it's even better. Anything else you want to mention for Logic? Oh, no. Legacy. I mean, I don't really have much for Legacy other than, I mean, it's not one of the last Michael J. Fox movies. No, because we had like Doc Hollywood and like Yeah, and The Frighteners. Both Back to the Future movies. Yeah. Again, this is one of 50 yuppie movies. That kind of, I think, was successful because Michael J. Fox, it wasn't a body swap movie. I bet they played this up as like two Michael J. Foxes a little bit. Yeah. And then great soundtrack. You know, I always thought it would help Michael J. Fox is he always looked eternally young. Yeah. He like always looked yeah. young. Yeah. Yeah. He's very uh, likable, you yeah. know, like very like kind of soft spoken, sort of shy. And it helped with the soundtrack. Oh my God. The yeah. secret, the title song. Then you have. Sometimes a good guy's finished for a great song. Mm-hmm. Then you have Katrina and the Waves. Oh, my God. It's a great soundtrack. All right. Stick around for some plugs. So where are you going now, Charles? Can't wait to see that new Toys R Us store. Jeffrey and his family will be waiting at the door. And Jim McMahon, star quarterback for the Chicago Bears, will make a special guest appearance at Toys R Us. In Chicago, next to Brickyard Mall, Tuesday the 10th, 7 to 8.30. Charles, Charles, just gonna see some friends. Toys R Us, you'll never outgrow us. Hey guys, I'm Dana, and you're listening to the Pool Scene Podcast. Once again, Pool Sceners, thank you for checking out the pod this week. Remember, if you want to know what's going on, any updates, any exciting things coming around the corner, check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Pool Scene Podcast. Also, at Pool Scene Pod on the Twitter. Also, if you want to drop us a line, send us an email at Pool Scene Podcast at gmail.com. Any movie ideas. We have some amazing movies coming up. If there's a movie you want us to cover, let us know. You're on the journey with us, and now back to Kevin. All right, let's uh, let's get into the waste of time. That would be a waste of time. Thanks, guy. So earlier we started arguing because you said Ferris Bueller is who you wanted to be. Yeah, he was cool. He skipped school. Was popular. Beef alert! Beef alert! Oh shit! We got beef alert. It's a piece of shit. <laughs> He takes advantage of his parents. So his parents, I hate that they like fawn over him. They're like, oh, poor Ferris. And they like call him several times like in the day to check on him. They think he has some sort of weird virus. He's got the keyboard like the fart and puke sound effects. He has the uh, mannequin in the, the bedroom. So he ruins Sloan's high school career. There's like so many events that are going on. And Sloan is a whole year younger than, than Ferris. So she has plenty of school ahead of her. But then like everything that Ferris is doing has consequences for Sloan, who still has to finish the final year of school. So it's like... It would all be okay if Sloan had chosen to take the day off, but like Ferris like pulls her out of school against her will. But he does help Cameron Fry. Great. What do you mean? Great. He does. He tri- he manipulates Cameron. He's like peer pressure to the what, max. Because he used his Ferrari 250 GT California. He tricks the entire student body. Uh, they love him though. They do, but he tricks them. He makes his best friend the third wheel all day. So he supposedly does all this for Cameron. But then it's more about having a date with Sloane 
and, and then Cameron's just there. Cameron's just there along for the ride. Again, he manipulating Cameron. He ruins a parade. I always did think, though, Cameron had a thing for Sloan because at oh, one yeah. point he's staring at her. Well, there's like a, an awkward scene where I feel like Ferris is like wants to watch them or something. Well, no, because she's swimming in the pool yeah. and then he comes out of his comatose thing. Yeah. He makes his girlfriend hit on his dad. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He is the reason his sister has a crush on a drug addict. Charlie Sheen. Yeah. In the office, which is great. Baby in a corner. He ruins Cameron's relationship with his parents because he, the most prized possession, again, he runs the mileage completely into the ground. And that's Cameron's, Ferris isn't going to face the heat for that. Yeah. Cameron, which Cameron needs to stand up to his dad, but still, he proposes to his girlfriend as a joke. 17-year-old girls are very fragile, and Cameron, or, yeah, Ferris is just like, yeah. He forces his best friend into shock. Which, that's a pretty scary scene. Like, when Cameron floats to the bottom of the pool in shock, he... He saves him. He, great. <laughs> He's there. You know, he commits identity theft, steals food. Abe Froman, the Sasha King of Chicago. Yeah. He's ungrateful. And that's subjective. He squanders his talents. What talent? Every he's talented. At I'm not gonna lie. For I remember when as a kid, I literally thought Ferris Bueller actually sang "Twist and Shout." I did not know that was the Beatles. I was like, man, Matthew Broderick can fucking wail. He's gonna get his principal killed. Oh, Mooney was a shithead. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. Where does the money go? Wait, what money? It's okay. So this says. This problem isn't technically something Ferris actually does in the movie, but an unresolved question we definitely need an answer to. Again, this is on a a website, 80skids.com. It says, we definitely need an answer to. It's a result of his own actions throughout the movie. By lying about being sick, Ferris sets in motion a rumor that consumes the whole student body that he's on death's door in need of medical attention. Okay. As a result of this rumor, the whole student body starts fundraising to keep him alive. So they do like a Kickstarter Painting the slogan, save Ferris absolutely everywhere, collecting change from what looks like every pupil in the school. Again, everybody loved Ferris. Well, I wonder where that money went. Yeah, so presumably that money's delivered to Ferris at his house sometime after the inappropriate singing nurse arrives or is given to him at some point after his return. The question is, what happens to the money? So Ferris never faces any consequence whatsoever. Best case scenario, he gives it to Cameron to pay for the car, but I bet he fucking does something dumb with it. That makes sense. Yeah. So he pretends to be a person he's not. Okay, maybe you're convincing me a bit. He's definitely lying about the car. So Ferris stealing Cameron's dad's car, you know, definitely the biggest thing probably that he does that's bad. destroys it. Yeah, is... But as a five-year-old kid, you're like, oh my God, he's the coolest kid. But he has to do some serious rationalization to get Cameron to agree. And most of his excuses are fucking lies. Like, he tells him, oh, we can just run the mileage. No, you can't do that. By driving it in reverse. You know, Ferris is so overly confident because he's like a Zach Morris. Yes. Which Zach Morris... Is an asshole. Is an asshole. Ferris Bueller is just another version of Zach Morris. He shouldn't be allowed to graduate. Because he's been absent more than nine times. Yeah, he's the reason the secretary is being treated so badly. She's the mom from Airborne. You want some Kool-Aid? And, okay, so this is probably the worst quality, is the fact that Ferris, he doesn't want anything. He's It's like a Joker origin story. Yeah, he's it's a just, latchkey kid. It's just chaos. It's just, he does it for anarchy. Like, he just wants to watch the world burn. We have to definitely cover this now. Yeah. Because Ferris Bueller is just, when that movie came out in 86, it was one of those things as a kid, you're like, wow. And I try to do the Ferris Bueller thing. I skipped school quite a bit. I never went to a fucking baseball game, caught a foul ball. 
pretend to be somebody else, have a hot girlfriend. All Zach Morris stuff. Yeah. And Zach Morris is always regarded as a terrible person. Now, the difference is Ferris is two hours, whereas Zach Morris, we get a much larger picture because Zach had girlfriends and then times where he's just chasing girls, which that's a lot of what makes Zach a bad person is like his scheming tactics to like but then there'll be an episode in which he, you know he falls in love with the homeless girl in the mall yes and tries and to then, save her and next and, episode we, what happened they get to live with zach's family they which is he they adopted him weird and then he finds out it's his aunt and he yeah. slept with his aunt speaking of uh secret my success real quick like i said helen slater became part of the two timers club when two people get involved on a project together there's a danger of getting emotionally involved that would be bad they confuse the intensity of their involvement on the project and mistake it as a relationship. Also, the guy who played Willie in Ghost made a brief appearance in The Secret of My Sess. He put on the Carlton Whitfield nameplate on the window. Hey, 4319? Uh, yeah. Holy shit, that's Willie from Ghost. Mm-hmm. So guess what? Willie not dead yet. wonder if that's how Willie met Sam Wheat. Sam Wheat? Uh, met so wait, did met Sa- Carl. Did Sam... Sam worked across the street at the bank. Okay, so Carl worked for Pimrose. Yeah. And that's, Carl and Carl works across the street. Okay, there's this big all those layoffs. Fucking Willie gets fired from Pimrose. Okay, he's down on his luck. Carl's like, listen, I really like Molly. Starts falling for Molly. Like, listen, I need you to kill Sam Wade. You got anything else you want to talk about? 87, 94, 96 for us are the meaty years yeah. when it comes to movies we have covered. We've covered quite a bit from those three years, and it just. The hits keep rolling out, man. I I mean, what can you say? I, this, give me a movie like this every day of the week. Like if oh, it's I, great. If I've worked, if I've had a whatever kind of day, if I, you know, and I want to just sit down and watch a movie, give me Secret of My Success cocktail. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, anything like that. Even like Wall Street. Give me any late 80s, like New York City type of movie every day of the week. Or give me a fucking Miami Vice type movie. Something. But I love this movie, and a lot of people think, oh, you're covering Michael J. Fox. Oh, you're doing Back to the Future. No, fucking doing Secret Mike's. Yeah. Who knows? One of these times, fucking do Doc Hollywood. So, okay, so if you did a Mount Rushmore of Michael J. Fox, you would definitely go Back to the Future. Yes. You would definitely go Alex P. Keaton. Okay, so you go Marty McFly, Alex P. Keaton. Yeah. What else is on Michael J. Fox, Mount Rushmore? Wow. Because you would have to do this. You'd have to be Brantley. I don't think you would. I don't, I don't think you would. I don't know who else you'd throw in. He's not going to be Doc Hollywood. No. He was um, in The Hard Way with James Woods. Teen Great. Wolf. Oh, yeah. Scott Howard. So you go Scott Howard, Marty McFly, Alex P. Keaton, and then... I don't see how you don't go. Stuart Little. No. There, I, there were a couple of them. They made a ton of money. Um, I'd have to go Brantley. I, 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 I mean, it did make a ton of money, yeah. so maybe. Then again, a lot of people don't know Secret of My Success. Spin City went 103 episodes. That's right. I forgot about Spin City. I don't know. I don't know what the fourth one is. That's the problem. Again, like you said, it made a ton of money, but I don't. a lot of people haven't seen it. I wouldn't go Doc Hollywood. I wouldn't go Frighteners. I wouldn't go uh, The Hard Way. No, it's, it's definitely Marty McFly, Scott Howard, Alex P. Keaton X, and then... <laughs> toss up you know the rest of his career imagine how things would have been different okay granted he was already on family ties but what if they ended up going with eric stoltz and back to the future 
how much his career would have been different. It's super weird to think about because... I mean, look at those scenes in which... I mean, they filmed a a big chunk of the movie with Eric Stoltz. If Eric Stoltz would have played Marty McFly, it would have killed Eric Stoltz's in Michael J. Fox's career. I mean, Eric Stoltz didn't... I mean... No, I don't think the movie would have had the same... Like... What I was trying to say about Michael J. Fox is that he he has this boyish charm. He does. Where he's he's not a man. He doesn't have this deep voice. He's not like a sex symbol. He's very innocent. Eric Stoltz was playing the role very seriously. I mean, I think he just came off the mask when he started doing Back to the Future. So he was Rocky Dennis, and then he went to this. Yeah. And a lot of people on set, they just said, even Zemeckis is like, there was just no chemistry. Yeah, I wonder how many movies that's happened in where they're like filmed a substantial number of scenes and then we're like, you know what, we're going to start over. I, I don't think it would ever happen now with how the Hollywood process works, like where they would, they micromanage every decision and they yeah. wouldn't even allow it to get to that point. I mean, if you guys have the opportunity, those clips are out there on YouTube with yeah. Eric Stoltz and like Leah Thompson and Christopher Lloyd. I mean... He even dresses differently than Michael J. Fox. But the funny thing about that, though, the agreement was, and all kudos to Michael J. Fox, because he literally would film Family Ties all day, and then at night he would go film Back to the Future to like 4 or 5 in the morning and do the same thing the next day. How crazy. Fucking nuts. Yeah. So, you know, and not to say, like, not not to bring this up too much, but people, um, Michael J. Fox himself, has speculated about the early onset Parkinson's because when when, when, did, he, when did it start showing? Was it when he was on Spin City? It was like ninety eight, okay. but he didn't tell anybody for two years. Okay, he basically got super into drugs and alcohol because really he was so depressed about it and like got super into drugs and alcohol before. In 2000, he announced, hey, I've been living early onset Parkinson's. I'm going to start to show symptoms and stuff. And everybody saw it as courageous and everything. And coming out and announcing that helped because, um, you know, he he was able to do a number of things after that. But, like... um, yeah, it's he was like I smoked a lot of pot in high school when they were poisoning the crops. They were spraying chemicals on the crops. He's like I, you know, he he was like I eat. He used to go fishing at some reservoir or some something. Mercury filled. Yeah, and he's fish. like I used to eat a ton of this salmon. He's like that could have been it. Like he speculates himself. He's like I spent so much time, you know, worry like worrying about did I do this to myself when in actuality, it's just unfortunate that these things happen to people. Yeah. But yeah, so. Eric Stoltz, so basically after 85, when Back to the Future came out, he did Some Kind of Wonderful, which you and I have watched together. Which, eh. yeah, it's not great. No, it's a John Hughes, but not great. Lionheart, The Fly 2, which in 89, Say Anything in 89. I forgot that he was in that. Yeah, I mean, he... Him losing Back to the Future kind of derailed things. Yeah, I'm looking through his filmography, and it was a pretty tough go i mean he he does have some credits like he was in jerry Maguire, and you know he's yeah a, but nothing major no he's not the uh main character he's in like an ancillary yeah he's ancillary he basically became a supporting actor after yeah. he lost out on back to the future so it's kind of sad I, I mean you had a time machine you go back and alter things you wonder what it would have been like if eric stoltz would have finished back to the future would have been released based on the footage i've seen i doubt there would have been three of them yeah i would agree so but you know what michael j fox man we're gonna have to do a swim meet series where we recast back to the future we kind of did in this episode but recast back to the future write a new plot 
revolving around. Well, like I told you, the original plot, there was no DeLorean. Yeah. It was a refrigerator, yeah. which is crazy. Can yeah. you imagine? Oh, I got to go into a fridge and go back in time in a fucking fridge. All right, everyone. Thank uh, you, guys. This was a fun episode. We loved The Secret of My Success. Yeah. Tune in again next week. Silencia. Secret.